Today is November the 23rd. Today, we see the severe letter. As we read through the Bible in a year, go to Acts 19, start in verse 11 and finish that chapter, Acts 19, 11 to 20. Then read the first three chapters of 2 Corinthians. Acts 19 tells us that as Paul began his third missionary journey, he centered in Ephesus. He stayed there for two and a half years. During that time, he lectured on a daily basis. But he also cared for the churches that he was planted. He was sending people out to all of the churches, Corinth among them, and apparently he sent Timothy with this letter, 2 Corinthians, to them. Now, in the first seven chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul defends his apostleship. Basically, Paul had to be very severe with the Corinthian church. He had to read them the riot act. It's, uh, uh, it, it goes something like this. When Paul first ministered in Corinth, he stayed there for about 18 months. Now, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he talks about a previous letter that he had sent them. So there was a letter that we don't have today that's not in Scripture that preceded 1 Corinthians. Then Paul sent a second letter to them. Both of these letters probably are during Paul's third missionary journey uh, from Ephesus. The first letter probably in the first year, the second letter during the, during the course of the second year. That was followed, 2 Corinthians 2.1. I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. Paul from Ephesus traveled to Corinth and had what he calls here a painful visit. He was very stern with them. He read them the riot act. But instead, now he went back to Ephesus and he wrote the severe letter, the letter that caused tears. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and then chapter 7, verse 8, all refer to this letter. Now, he was very concerned about the Corinthian church, so he sent Titus with that letter. Titus returned with good news. Titus said they've accepted the letter. They've changed. They've modified their behavior. And so Paul sends 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, at least the first part, is to defend his actions. And he starts by explaining that he is indeed an apostle. He has been given authority to deal harshly with the Corinthian church. Enjoy today as you read 
Acts 19, 11 to 20, and 2 Corinthians 1 through 3. Acts 19, verse 11 through 20, and 2 Corinthians 1 through 3. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you, in the name of Jesus, from who Paul preaches, come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house, naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly through Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. 2 Corinthians 1 This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to God's church in Corinth and to all his holy people throughout Greece. May the God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks, because God has graciously answered so many prayers for safety. We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then, on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. 
first on my way to Macedonia and again when I returned from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As sure as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commanded us, and he has identified us as his own by preaching the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so you will be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. Second Corinthians 2 So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit, for if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I want to let you know how much love I have for you. I am not overstating it to you when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and confront him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit, and so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. When I came to the city of Taurus to preach the good news of Christ— the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me, but I had no peace of mind because my dear brother Titus hadn't arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went to Macedonia to find him. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance raising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Second Corinthians 3 Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? 
Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation, or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualifications come from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, with laws erected in stone, led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God. Even though the brightness was already fading away, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So, if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new one, which remains forever? Since this new way gives such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. This veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Scripture reading by Emily Arena. Like, follow, and subscribe to this devotional on whatever platform you use to listen to it. Email your questions to us at questions at becomehope.com. Tomorrow, we'll see the ministry of reconciliation.